Welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Simon. I'm Stuart. We're both property people running our own businesses. This podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. And this week, I think we're going to chat a bit about some of the topics that Tom included in our uh, three-way discussion last week. But before we get going on that, I think you have some sort of good news, Stuart? <laughs> yes. Well, it's it's definitely news. I think the jury's out if it's good or bad. Um, <laughs> no, so we've had... We had we had some offers on the Croydon flip, which we've talked about previously. Some offers? Oh, I hadn't realised there were multiple. We did have a couple of. I mean, but but some we just wouldn't consider. Some were beyond ridiculous, <laughs> so we didn't even consider those. And then we did have an offer come back. So just as a quick refresher, this was a property we've bought in Croydon and developed it from a one bed to a two stroke three. It's actually two two beds with a dressing area, so we've added a lot of uh, a, a lot of value to it, and we've created an additional bathroom and so on. The challenge for this one was that we uncovered a need for uh, an EWS one form, which is an external wall survey. EWS one, which I'm now a lot more conversant with than I was this time six months ago. Yeah, I don't think you're the only ones being caught out by this. Since our initial discussion about it, and you mentioning it's causing problems for, for your sale, I've seen it in a number of headlines, it even sort of outside of investment circles. So complaining about people being trapped in their properties because they can't sell them because they can't get these these forms signed off, either because the block of flats actually doesn't need one but some mortgage companies are are just blanket saying we need this form or we won't give you a mortgage or where the flats do need one but they can't actually get the surveyors because they're in such high demand in order to to get them to come around and and fill in the paperwork for them all the way up to of course blocks of flats that need work doing before they can can get their form so i think there's a a very wide problem with, with ews one forms at the moment and them causing issues for for sellers all over the place. So sorry, Stuart, I interrupted your story. So you can no, <laughs> no, it's it's part of the conversation, and I think I agree because we had that conversation on the podcast, and then I started hearing more about it. So I think you know we can safely say that those listeners of the business of property are getting you know up to date information as as negative as it might be before it happens (laughs) (laughs) but it is a big problem and like you since we've talked about it on our podcast i've heard other podcasts talking about it and is a big problem because the problem arises not just from the ews1 requirement itself but from the managing agents propensity or lack thereof of wanting to get that form so what what I've seen is that there are managing agents that are just saying that, that they that they won't get the form because we're talking about something that could cost in the region of, of thousands. Uh, I don't know specifically, but we're talking you know multiple thousands to get it done. Not every managing agent is going to want to do that. It doesn't make sense to me though because ultimately the the leaseholders are going to be the ones that that pay for the lion's share of it through a service charge or however that's made. But what I'm seeing is that managing agents are dragging their feet because it is such a large expenditure 
And like you say, if they say, well, we don't feel there is a requirement, there may not be from their perspective, but from a bank perspective, there is. And Yeah, exactly. And I think we mentioned it on the previous podcast, but from from a broker I know, he said that last year, back end of last year, there were something like three mortgages you could get at the time that would that would still provide a mortgage regardless of the situation. So far this year, and we're 10 months in, there are zero mortgages you can get with that. So so it is, I think it's a huge problem. And, you know, I've posted about it on my sort of social media because I think it needs a little bit more attention. But we've uh, we've digressed. We have a little, yes. <laughs> but but what that has meant was that we had to change the listing to be a, a cash only listing, because clearly, if banks aren't going to lend against it, it has to be a cash buyer. Once you make it a cash buyer listing, you're going to have to drop the price, which is what we've had to done. Uh, sorry, what we've had to do, and we've taken off. I would say about fifteen percent of quite a quite a large fee so we're in the early stages of the conveyance at the moment so there's not too much i could say about it or want to say about it until we reach exchange because that will be the 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 moment where i don't think you've actually said yet that you've accepted an offer but you we, we talked about you've had a few offers but uh, obviously you you've had an offer that you did accept so we had a few offers and one came back on a couple of occasions, we proposed a greater amount, which they didn't accept. And then my business partner on this one, we discussed it and decided that the best course of action would be to accept the offer, even though it's not where we want it to be, because we still have a large amount of capital in the property. And so, so we accepted it. I'm still quite tentative around it because, as all of us know, that's ever bought or sold a property. It ain't over till that exchange paper is signed. So we've, we've got a bit of a way to go. And on this property, anything can happen. We've learned so much on this. And the fact that my business partner and I are still on speaking terms uh, has shown us that we are, we are a good fit in terms of values because it's one of those properties where if, if something could be an issue, it's been an issue. You know, the good news is that we've, we've resolved most of those issues and we're working through them some of which I will share more on once once the property is sold, but I'm reticent to share much more information on it now because we're still trying to tie things up and we are talking about legal things, so I don't really want to get into that. You don't, don't want to risk jinxing anything at this stage? No. It's still somewhere in the region of a third of all agreed offers that then later fall through. So, yes, you need to try and try to help your offer be in the two-thirds that succeed rather than uh, yeah. the other way around and we, we've done the due diligence from via the estate agent who's a is a, a really good estate agent we really like him he's um you know ensured that the money is available and has pushed that through to make sure that before we progressed he's seen that the, the funds are in place so we know that they're there we have an offer so it's really now just getting that through as quickly as possible so that obviously we can chat about it <laughs> given that it is a a cash offer are you expecting it to happen a little faster than sometimes or do you think the the bigger delay is just going to be the general conveyancing process even without a mortgage being involved yeah i think uh, obviously you want you want it to happen quicker when it's a cash purchase but with 
with this property, with the, the legal stroke conveyancing process is, is no doubt going to take its time. I think we're hoping for completion by the end of November. Fingers crossed. That's what we'll be gunning for. With, that's pretty quick. Yeah, I'd say that's, that it would be quick. It's then dependent on the managing agents because then you've got to get a leaseholder pack. You've got those points to be ironed out. And dare I say it into the world, but the buyer may get cold feet because of those things that we've been very upfront about. Well, because of any number of things. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they might want uh, they want might want greater confidence, for example, from a the managing agent that that it's going to be resolved. And you, you know, so the works are ongoing. I mean, right now, that's that's the good news for us is that there is scaffolding around the property because they are working on the uh, on the external walls. Mm-hmm. So they are working on the cladding. So it's there for all to see. It's tangible. It's not. We're not just saying it to try and sell the property. The, 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 the next question then arose well when does that work's due to complete we think it's due to complete uh, uh next year uh, q3 q4 and then of course will you get the ews one we can't answer all of that now so that's you know why i'm sort of reticent to 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 get too confident just yet because as a buyer they may start delving into it and decide not however Equally, they are getting a property for, we are very, very comfortable. They're getting a 15 to 20% discount because we know we know what we bought it for. They'll, they'll be able to see what we bought it for and they can see what they're getting. So they are getting a lot of value. And that's the, that's the, that's the other side of it. So that's the equation. Hopefully, you know, they've done that already and have thought that before they put the offer in. And you'd, you'd hope so if you're a cash buyer. Yeah, I would think so. I can't imagine a cash buyer will be making offers without doing a good chunk of due diligence first. It's yeah. uh, it, it does take effort to actually prove things to an estate agents and get that process rolling. So you you do your due diligence. Yeah, you would do your due diligence first. <laughs> yeah, and and th- those are the reasons you put those obstacles in play, not just to to verify the buyer, but if you say to someone, "We'll take your offer as soon as you've." show me your proof of funds it's not just about showing the proof of funds it's about the fact are they willing to make the effort to do that and if you know if if they are actually willing to do the effort and if the funds are in different places i know it sounds stupid because you know you're just snapshotting a statement or you're downloading a pdf but if you're not serious you're not gonna you're not gonna do those things and i i do that in in work situations where if i'm looking at a property for a landlord potentially wants to give it to me as a rent to rent i i always just say can you just share with me some utility bills provide me you know proof of ownership and hopefully they're not listening but i want that information because it's important but i do that just to test how serious they are because if the, if they just disappear as some may do then i realize that they had very low interest in in following through yeah quite it, it can be useful just to put in some little barriers for uh, sorry, some, some little barriers that require effort to just check that people are willing to put in that little bit of effort to, to help things along. Otherwise, if they can't do that at the early stages, there's going to be bigger problems later on. Where Exactly. exactly. So, yeah, we always put out these little hurdles for people to clear so that once they've done that, we, we can move forward with confidence. And I think hurdles is a nice segue. So hurdles 
and your property sellers, so you're selling a property. You had an offer after like five days, which yep. obviously made me very, very happy for you. Very happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> so which hurdles that's, are you clearing with totally that? The, uh, <laughs> the way your face looks as you say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you you had a question. I was busy speaking over it and didn't hear it. <laughs> so, which which hurdle are you currently clearing of that? Which which stage of the stage of the sales process are you at? The purchaser has booked a survey, so that took a little bit of organising between them and the agent and the the tenant, so that access could be arranged. But that's now been been booked in place. As we record, it's going to happen in a few days' time. So I don't know the the result of that yet. And now this is a cash purchase as well so this isn't a, a mortgage-based survey this is a survey just for the the buyer themselves and hopefully there won't be any surprises out of it but uh only only time will tell and i shall report back uh when i when i can on our next updates episode hopefully but uh for now my updates are very very thin on the ground well, that's a very sizable amount of cash isn't it it is yes <laughs> they're, they're not italian or, and speak with a godfather-type accent or anything? Not so far as I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope the agent has done their, their anti-money laundry. I was just going to say AML. Today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, AML, that's the one. Hopefully the agent has done their AML requirements and, and checked that this buyer is, uh, is permitted. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm they sure are. They are. Sure, sure they fine. are. Not casting any aspersions. Seeing as my uh, my update's so so thin, I had a, a quick question actually on your sale that you've now uh, had agreed. You did have a short term tenant in this property for a while. Are, are they still there, or have they gone at the moment? And and how are you you handling that process if they're still there? Yeah, so the tenant is still in the property. They are on a short short term let. I know we've discussed that on a previous podcast. But that was for an initial three months with a one-month rolling. They are fully cognizant of what we're doing, obviously, because they've been allowing people into the property. And so we'll just keep them posted. So given that I think they've agreed to 28 days notice both ways, we'll just keep them up to date. And once we get to exchange point, we'd obviously just set the exchange uh, sorry, we set the set their leaving point to twenty eight days after exchange. Yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah, so the them leaving and completion lines up. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. Glad it's not just me who can't speak properly today. <laughs> you passed it on to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> it's okay. We've only got another ten minutes or so to survive. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing fine. We're doing fine. So I think the other thing we were going to talk about then was. Following the interview with Tom, there was a number of different subjects which came up for us. And I'd love to hear back from people, by the way, if you've got any feedback for us on that interview or any other episodes, do do reach out, let us know uh, via contact details in the show notes. Yep. Visit thebusinessofproperty.com and there's a contact form there. And uh, I think actually, even if you're, if you're a bit techie, there's a, an email address in the RSS feed if you can find that. <laughs> Well, there you go. So if you do have any questions coming up from any of the shows, but questions or feedback, please do let us know because it will provide us with some useful content. I am only half joking, of course. I'm not sure we're supposed to admit that. (laughs) (laughs) I am only half joking. I'm half joking, but it would be very good to hear from you. So please do reach out. But 
we talked about a number of things in the Tom Sone episode. A couple of things that both you and I commented on afterwards was method of modern auction, which immediately makes me want to spit, and then guide prices and making offers. Should we talk yeah, about I mean, these? Are all tied together, aren't they? In, in yeah. that auction sort of bucket, if you like. You, you've got a lot more experience of auctions generally, as in the, the real world live auctions than I have. I've I have been to one enormous room auction that I did not bid in or, or sort of partake in, in in any way other than being an audience member. But uh, you have more real experience of that. And of course, they aren't happening these days. So all of the real auctions, or pretty much all, have gone online. And they are now a bit more more prevalent online. And I think you see, or I seem to be seeing, a lot more in the way of guide price sort of numbers on the portals. And I don't know if this is really just a an increase in auction listings or whether this is a, a sort of bandwagon that lots of agents have decided to jump on as well and think, oh, that's a good idea. But what when you see a guide price listed, what does that sort of price mean to you? Well, I think if it's just the standard price, I think it is just that to me is the guide price. So there's been an evaluation of the property by the estate agent. And as Tom quite interestingly and quite rightly points out, is that some vendors will just put their own price in anyway. But for me, the guide price is that stake in the ground of what it's worth. And of course, as we know, guide prices are subjective. What you might think is worth 100,000, I might think is worth 75, and someone else might think is worth 125. And that's why it goes out to the market for a guide price. I think one of the things we talked about on that episode was where there is a guide price band. Mm. That's so, so guide price to me is absolutely fine. And then there's there's a strategy around that. And we all do it where we're thinking, which band do we want to look in? Because we know if we're going to go to Rightmove, and that is the, the key platform, as, as Emma shared with us many episodes ago, and we probably referenced that in the show notes if, if we yep. could. And she talks about the fact that, that I forget the exact figure, but let's go Pareto principle and say right move will be 80%. So if we're thinking about most properties will go via uh, right move, then really you're subject to their banding of prices. Because if you put your pri- your property price at, for argument's sake, 201,000, you're going to sit in that band of 200 to 250 and will potentially lose your market that's only looking up to 200,000. Yep, right. So that's what we were talking about in terms of guide price. The element for me which raises my eyebrow is always the the, the banding. And as I said on, on the last show, I, I had a conversation around this and, and Tom almost, well, I think pretty much verified that it was the case where when you do a banding, well, there's a multiple facets to it. One is my view is that you do always have a difference of opinion between a vendor that wants to get a high price, and of course, every vendor, we're no different, will always want the highest possible value, versus what an estate agent's collective experienced view of the price might be. And this banding could meet both of those requirements. So you could say, well, I think my property is worth 250, but the estate agent says it's worth 230. So we're going to say guide price 230 to 250. But when it appears on right move, it comes up as 230. Mm. So again, there, 
and then that's the the third element to this whole piece is that actually if you do want say 260 but you want to put your property in the under 250 band you can put it up for 240 to 260 thereby getting all of those people that are looking only up to 250 and getting them in i don't think we talked about your view on the episode but my view going into this was that if you see something banded for 240 to 260 i feel you're already anchored at 240 as a buyer i totally agree it's when when you're viewing listings if you see that lower banding point that's the anchor or at least for me that that's where my thoughts get anchored so i think it's great for being able to list that and get it included in more searches but i do wonder if it might cause an issue in trying to then work your way up towards the the higher point i mean of course if if the vendor just isn't willing to accept an offer at the lower point then then of course it it either goes up or it doesn't sell but as a viewer of the listing i, I definitely get anchored at the lower point and i think this is where it's a bit different between generally for sale properties and auction properties so traditional auctions the guide price has to be within 10 percent of the reserve price it can be higher or lower but it has, has to be within 10 percent and auctioneers will very often put properties on with a relatively low reserve price and hence a relatively low guide price because they know there's going to be competition in the room for that particular property that opportunity for for people there so they know it's going to be bid up they know that on the day there will be competition for it start it low get people interested and then the multiple people will bounce off each other and push that price higher but with a normal estate agent based listing you can't guarantee that or at least i mean <laughs> in an auction you don't actually guarantee it either but it's a much higher chance in an auction in a, a normal listing just with relying on people discovering it and talking to the estate agent you don't know who's going to notice it. You don't know whether it will be one person or several people. So maybe a lower price, a lower guide that catches attention will mean that multiple people are interested and you can uh, let them bid that price up. But maybe you don't. Maybe only one person happens to notice it that week or that month. And you just get stuck at that lower price that you've now anchored everyone at. I think it's a must be a, a much bigger gamble when you're, you're not putting people into a, an actual auction. What, what, what do you think about that, Stuart? Well, you, you've brought us back around to the point because I think I meandered slightly on the guide prices, but I think it was important to get clarity in terms of what we're talking about on guide price. But I think what we were talking about was this method of modern auctions. So you're, you're right in terms of the you know the 10% reserve price and, and everything you said, I, I agree. I mean, I'm seeing a lot more auctions happening now, but yes, they are all online. And, and I've attended a couple of online auctions. But like you say, the, the purpose of, of the auctioneer is, is to glean that interest prior to auctions. They'll, they'll be doing a lot of marketing and stuff in the background, which I, I suppose estate agents can do. Just to interject, sorry, I'm going to spoil your flow. The online auctions that you've attended, were they room-style auctions, but put online as in sort of a video feed auction yeah. stand in front of the room type thing or were they just entirely run on a website a bit more ebay style no so far they were run as 
an auction would be run. Now I haven't I haven't attended one in the last couple of months, so I I would imagine that's changing now if, because if because of everything that's gone on. I think it's a mixture. I think different auction houses are taking different approaches. I've certainly seen one, or I could say even attended one, seeing as I was sat at the screen looking at the the auction listing and seeing it update live. Mm. But yeah, I've I've attended one that's taken the other approach. So there wasn't a person in a room um sort of processing each lot. Instead they were they they'd had a system, an online system, that was much more sort of eBay style. They opened the bidding at a certain time and there was a deadline. And it, it wasn't sort of as you'd find in a room, it wasn't a few minutes, it was a few hours of potential bidding. And then of course, as everyone does in, in an eBay style auction, in the last thirty seconds people People put in their bid, hoping to to catch everyone else out at the last moment. And in this particular style of property auction, every time someone put in a bid that was the new highest bid, it extended the auction by a few minutes. Mm. So so it kept getting extended in the, the lot that I was watching. And people kept bidding it up that way. And of course, it gave them extra time to, to think about their next offer and, and put that in. So it, it, I think it worked quite well in terms of bidding the bidding the lot up and of course it didn't involve somebody standing at the front of a room it didn't involve a video feed and it allowed a much wider window of time for people to be interested in in bidding on that property although of course all the action took place in the last 15 20 minutes it would have been less than that of course but it kept getting extended yeah and that sounds like covid will be expediting more of that and that sounds like the sort of environment where as a vendor you'd you'd want to get involved uh, it, and, and that also bringing us back to me- modern of method auction sounds like where estate agents are were trying to get to now i have to be honest i haven't seen many for sale by method of mod- modern auction recently but those i did see probably in the last 12 months or so and this is obviously anecdotal i don't have any figures to support it but those that i did see always surpassed the date and then I saw saw them for sale again afterwards and there were benefits to method of modern auction insofar as you know we just looked it up but if 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 the sale is if the price is agreed you've got 28 days to exchange and then 28 days to complete clearly there are benefits for the buyer there and also from from sorry benefits for the vendor because they know it's going to sell, but there are also benefits for the buyer. Because once once that's been accepted, you're not going to get gazumped. I think the challenge was that what they hadn't got right was the bit the bit that you're talking about there, where it sounds much better. Because what they were hoping was obviously to to get that price bumped up. But what I saw were properties that might have had low prices, but a because no one had really communicated what method of modern auction actually meant, and be because you just weren't sure what was going to happen if you put in a price i think people just really didn't go in for it i think because it's different from what people are expecting and yet here it is being presented by your traditional high street agents i think people are just a bit wary and confused especially seeing as the method of modern auction listings normally come with extra fees for the buyer rather than the seller which of course is traditionally in in auctions normal auctions the the buyer will pay auction fees yeah and i'm I'm glad you reminded me of that so because i i did find a property that i quite liked that was uh by this uh method and 
so I looked it all up at the time and I remember the, the, the key stickler for me, and I can't remember the exact figures, but let's just say it was £1,500. That would have been an additional fee. So you'd pay a reservation fee and I think most of that would come off the purchase price. So that's fine. But then there was this additional fee in incremental to the other fees. So it kind of felt like, you know, the vendor would be paying the estate agency fees. We'd be then paying an additional fee. So it felt to me like a situation that was engineered really just to create more cost for both vendor and buyer versus if you're going into an actual auction and we looked at the Croydon property, bringing us back to the start, we did think about putting that into an auction. But my my sort of concern with that would have been around the fact that we, if we had to pay auction auctioneer fees and then it doesn't sell and so on. However, that's not the case. Wasn't the case in this auction now that we're speaking with is that they would no longer take fees if the property hadn't sold, which wasn't always the case. In other auctions that I've looked at, you would potentially pay the fee up front, whether it sells or it doesn't sell. Well, that's very interesting. I hadn't realised there were. Yeah, I had. I didn't know the arrangement at all for vendor fees on on auctions so that's quite interesting that there there are sometimes fees there but uh but sometimes not if things don't sell yeah and i guess that can change by by auctioneer and and environment but then that led me to the point well where's the benefit so this method of online auction i just couldn't see the benefit for for me as a purchaser and i could see some for the vendor i think mostly it's benefit for the agents yeah and, and and but that is that that's where I got to i for me it didn't feel without getting too <laughs> in, into it but it didn't feel like a consumer led approach it was very much a an estate agent centric approach and therefore you know if we don't see benefits from it we're not going to use it and that's why i don't know but maybe that's not been as prevalent maybe it's just because the market's fairly buoyant in terms of transactions don't know yeah the Another sort of twist to this that I've seen on some listings is a, a normal property listing. So not an auction, not a modern auction or, or any other kind, but just a normal listing. But it's listed with a, a bit of small print at the bottom or somewhere in the description that says there, there may be buyer's commission to be paid. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but it's something along those lines. And I, I don't understand this. I mean... Why? Are you just trying to trick buyers into making an offer that's higher than they would have because then they have to pay commission on top of it? Or are you really expecting everyone to read and understand this small print you might be offering? It's, I mean, from my own personal point of view, whenever I see that, I just, yeah, next. Scroll <laughs> on, yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, and that's what we do. If we don't understand something, we're not going to go towards it. And as soon as you say buyer's commission, yeah, stamp duty. That's what we pay. Buyers, you know, there's we, there's a, there's enough commission going around without adding. But when you think about it, I, you can possibly understand where some of this is coming from with reduction in fees and greater transparency in the market. But as we know, these these fees get renamed and reapportioned. So yeah, estate agents that are good at their jobs can't plead poverty. No. Nope. But equally, state agents who are good at their jobs are good at their jobs. They will help sell a property. They will help get a, a good price for the property. And they will help that property work its way through the, the process 
from offer to completion. And that does take work. It is a reasonable chunk of effort up front to market a property. And then it is also quite a reasonable chunk of work, especially at the moment, to see it all the way through to completion. So I don't begrudge estate agents for for taking fees and being paid for that that work and that quite important task of of keeping the process going. But I do um, I do get a little frustrated by some of the uh, I don't know how should you put it I'll put it as obscure marketing tactics for for some of the fees. And yeah. um, that's uh, I think is a a little concerning to see. But as we've said, I think if they if they are obscure like that, and I haven't once as soon as you said buyer's commission, I, I'm sure I have seen it, but I haven't seen it that often. But like you, I'd be exactly the same. If I see buyer's commission, I'm scrolling on because I don't understand it and I don't understand why, unless I was really interested in the property and I thought there'd be some merit in understanding it. Otherwise, we just don't have the time. And what this comes down to, all of these things, ultimately, whether we like it or not, is a property will sell at the right price, but that right price will be different at different times of the economic cycle, depending on where it is, and so on and so forth. So I want to finish with a positive point because the estate agent we had on the Croydon property was was exactly how I would expect an estate agent to be, was very transparent is not the right word, but he was very clear on what he believed the value of the property was. It just so happened it, it, it agreed with ours, which is obviously good. However, if it hadn't, I believe we would have acquiesced to his guidance because he was speaking with some good authority. Equally, when we had the the, the challenges with it, where we then had to uh, resort to cash buyers only, he took some good advice. And what I really liked about him was that he already had a pool of people. And he said, look, this is the value I believe I can get people in for. And he did that. So we can talk about methods of modern auction. We can talk about why do we sell at auction? Because we want some sort of expediency on the sale. Mm. Ordinarily, you're not going to get more for that property. So usually there's an element of expediency that needs to get rid of. So if, if there isn't the expediency, really, you've just got to market at the right price. And if you're not selling at the price you want, then that's not the right price for the market. And whether we like it or not, as I said before, that's that's the point. And I've been in a situation to benefit from that. And I've been in a situation where it's been detrimental. So, yeah. Yep. The, the market will decide the price. The market decides. Indeed. So I'm not entirely sure that's quite as positive a note as you were hoping to finish on. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is time to finish, sadly. So it just leaves it for me to say thank you very much for listening and for all of those who are enjoying listening to our ramblings. Please do let someone else know about them. It's very much appreciated by Stuart and myself. And show notes and links that we may have mentioned in all of our episodes can be found at thebusinessofproperty.com. We will talk to you again next week.